John gave me this, and I thought I would take just an initiative right now in a couple of things that perhaps bring sentiment to what we'll be sharing tonight in Psalm 119. And uh, the title implies it, Journaling the Journey. And so this card came to me uh, via a couple that I go back many, many years with. So at least since 98, very likely 1992, maybe even earlier. Uh, but I became familiar with them when I was on staff at Applegate Christian Fellowship as a pastor and a coffee maker. I was trying to give some type of illustration, but I, I won't. So it says, Pastor Lee and I have uh, been pressed to tie the portion of our monthly tithe to your youth program through your amazing son, Zach. We love you. We are impressed with Christie's women's outreach. Now, the only thing that I can figure there is that she's been dialing in when Christy was doing the uh, footsteps of Jesus. Uh, you are very blessed, and we desire to be a part of your ministry to the youth. And so, you know, they've pledged an amount towards that. Isn't that cool? And so that's a part of a pastoral journey. Before I was a pastor, uh, I was cleaning floors, and I was changing diapers and doing dishes, making coffee, and then there was just that day. And so, and I clearly, as, as even the last song, and I'm going to dial into that one too, because I think it has a pertinence to where we'll be tonight. But I know that right now I'm, I'm looking at at least, at least a good solid 20 years. I came out of Mexico with Christy in 98. Then I was sent back to Mexico uh, when I was 41. And at the age of 41, I was playing on a beach down in Ensenada, way actually beyond Ensenada, um, football. And this ties into the Super Bowl. So at 41, I was a geezer. I would have been a Tom Brady. And I was tackling and getting tackled by 20-year-olds who were quite a bit taller than I <clears throat> and presently and even back then was. I was still fast, but I remember that everything I was doing was hinged on, oh Lord, save me. And he did. I took, I took down some guys that were like Goliath, and I remember I got up thinking, I haven't died yet. And I got taken down by guys, and I thought, I've lived to get out of this dog pile. So that was at 41. And so that being said is that the other illustration I give you is that very often we, we say we're too old to do anything for God. But that was kind of like my Super Bowl. And actually, that event, I survived, but there was another young man in his 20s who got nailed in the lip trying to make a tackle that previously I had done the very same thing and he got smacked right in the lip and it split. And I became his nurse. I actually took him, I was an ambulance nurse. I got him from three hours south of Ensenada all the way up to San Diego, I believe with Christy. We ice packed him and sat through him for emergency surgery. And so there are hard hits that can happen in life. So hence, dovetail. 
You probably can see my effervescent. Are these blue or purple shoes? Do you see them? Translucent, aren't they? These are Zachary's shoes. Usually fathers are said to have sons that fill their shoes. I'm filling my son's shoes. I really felt kind of like, man, I didn't even get big feet. Didn't get hair, didn't get big feet. But then I felt good because when I was driving back with Karis, she was tightening up her boots and said, man, your feet are small. I feel real big now next to you. But Zachary wears, at the most, I, I'm an eight, a deceptively an eight. I'm probably more like a seven and a half. But I, I wear the eight just so I can feel a little bit bigger. But now these are making me feel like, yeah, yeah, I got to walk. But Zachary said, you can wear them for now. Really? Are you going to strap these on when you run a marathon? He goes, yep. So that leads me to simply say that it's a journey. And we're journaling it. And we're hearing great things uh, through those who, with expertise, are evaluating his progress. It's really remarkable. If you, if you haven't kept abreast, and I don't know if Christy's dialed it all in, but they rate you, as I told you before, from A to E. And because of certain things that the doctor, in particular neurosurgeon, who came in surprisingly to one of his uh, classes, um, he is qualifying by movement in his toe and some other feelings that he's getting and a coupling now of his thumb to move from A to C. So that's kind of where we're at right now. So there's D and E to go. Now there are some things that are, you know, that we say continue to pray in. But it's interesting because as, as that is being disclosed, he's got a couple of guys on his right side and left side. I use it figuratively. He's center right now in our life. But on his right and left side are guys that, like him, are amazing athletes. Franz, who I have not yet met, met his dad, prayed with his dad. His dad actually prayed over me. And then Chris, and these guys were pro-stock. Franz was going to be a dentist and had just signed up with the Navy for that. And I'm just going to say, Franz, you're going to be a dentist. And then Chris was actually a professionally sponsored snow skier and surfer. I think snow skiing was it. And he said, I'm going to make one more round with my snowboard. And the tip caught and his neck took the brunt of that fall. So when I say journaling the journey, we're including uh, those particular individuals, many of them there, that have a similar story, prayerfully the same God. And um, just wanted to let you know that, you know, in the perspective of what we will credit David for writing predominantly, in Psalm 119, we're all on a journey, okay? It's important to journal God's faithfulness. 41, coming out of Mexico, having my Super Bowl event beyond Ensenada, and yet it doesn't seem to be that I'm any less um, sidelined. I seem to be still on the gridiron. So at 63, you probably can imagine who I was cheering for on Sunday. <laughs>
<laughs> I had to do it, you know. I had to cheer for the geezer. And so the Lord wants us to know that as he renews us, as youth, as with eagles' wings that we mount upon, we see what David was able to, with great precision, write regarding the validity of the Word of God and how important it was to him. And this is where I want to go. You know how when in school you would be told to do a book report, and most of us know that in some of those books, an author would give a summary or the publishing company would. So if you didn't read your book, what you'd do is you'd turn to the end and grab the summary and then try to convert it into the authenticity of, of course I read it. And if a teacher was savvy, which they are, because I was one, you'd say, hi, this looks so familiar, it looks like the back of the book. Did you write this? Well, yes, it's my pen and it was my hand. But are these thoughts yours? Well, Richard, David penned all of these. But I'm going to the back of the book because it's important to see how the link is with the beginning. In Psalm 119, verse 175, to its close in 176, let my soul live, and it shall praise you, and let your judgments help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. I really appreciated finding this at the back of this psalm which is actually also able to be titled The Wonderful Word, God's Faithful, Wonderful Word. It could even be titled His Precious Promises. And so when I saw this, because many of us can say, man, I started off so good, but I've got this kind of asterisk area of my life right now. I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. So to me, there's great hope. Because there's always a what? Not only former beginning, there's a new beginning. It's important to realize that God doesn't mark the failure with the exclamation marks that we do, or that others would over our life. Actually, it's a dot, dot, dot. And actually, there's a lot of eraser marks that the Lord uses that he completely does not consider in terms of the validity of being on the gridiron of faith. So wherever you may be, old or young, the last word is not the last word from God. David penned this in honesty, saying that from the beginning, extolling the word of God, there were some mess-ups. But he had a confidence enough to say with that that he would be assured that God could save him. And I just love that. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Even when we mess up, we do not forget his commandments. So we're going to take a look at 
not a lot of Psalm 119 because it's a big one. And we didn't brew enough coffee for that occasion. But let's see if we can take some devotional, motivational insights from it. A couple of things to consider. Actually, about five or six points in where David will be going. He's going to define some terms that are important for us to understand. And so I'm going to cite them, and then we're going to take a look at the scriptures pertinent to them. The first term that will come to our attention will be the usage of the word law, which in simplicity, because it is complex, I tried to simplify it, have, in my opinion, two emphases, to teach and direct for obedience, the law, to teach and direct for obedience. You're going to find the law being interjected in what David was pondering concerning the word. This would be like picking up, in my opinion, David's succinct journaling of his journey and in it, understanding how God had guided him and directed him, he takes into consideration these terminologies. So I think it's important, the law, to teach and direct to obedience. That's going to be found in verse 1. Verse 2, which marks the second important word, are testimonies. Simply put, it can be much more complicated the way God sees it. So when we run into the testimonies of the Lord, it's the way that God sees things. Because we don't see things really all that well, all the time, the way that God does. God has to make adjustments in my vision continually. And in fact, most of you know I play around with my prescriptions when my vision begins to change. I've actually learned to trick my eyes to have a better acuity by finding one of my old pairs. And when I find a pair that all of a sudden brings me clarity, I put them on and I shelve the other ones. Now, if you're an optometrist, I'm sure you're going to come and see me afterwards. Or if you have a friend that deals with eyes, you'll say, you can't keep doing that. So part of it is frugality. Part of it is simply the, oh, why bother? I'm trying, though, what I'm saying in the illustration is, is to retain my vision, to not necessarily succumb to using it as an excuse that I didn't see, but actually to always put myself in a position where I can say, I see. I can see clearly now. And so the testimonies, when you run into it, may be better understood simplicity-wise is the way God sees it. In verse 4, you'll come across a word called precepts. We've heard them before. They're used in civil agencies that we would call law enforcement, adjudications, precepts. The best way to probably phrase this is close examination of the details, precepts. Close examination of the details. And that's when you probably do see those little lights that go on when all of a sudden you realize that somebody wants you to pull over and they want you to show them some things. We've all probably been there. 
as they scrutinize the details. It's a close examination of the details. Who are you? Where have you been? What are you doing? Can I see the things that relate to that which is under your control right now? Can I see evidence that you're the owner of that? Or that you're qualified for this? And so we know that that leads inevitably to an adjudication that we're compelled to go to. Of course, I'm relating it to driving, but nevertheless, in spiritual life, it's one of the things that as a term can help us at least be not surprised by what David cites. And by the way, these are all positive from David's perspective. When for you and I, the violations happen, we can tend to kick the can down the road or we can find ourselves challenged to perhaps not kick somebody else down the road. That's that pathos that the Greek term would say is the tragedy of the moment in which rather than embracing it, you want to brace yourself. You want to find a reason, an excuse, something that eliminates guilt. So I think that precepts is a great word, close examination of the details. In verse 5, you'll find a word as well that you're familiar with, but I'll try to bring an easier definition to you. Statutes. Statutes in its simplest form right now, meaning it's a binding force. The scriptures tell us, Paul penned it, that the love of God constrains us in a binding force. He constrains us to circumstances. He constrains us to people, to places. And he's the one that keeps us. Some can say, I don't like being constrained, but actually God would say, why wouldn't you appreciate me constraining you? Parents do that with their babies. The first, it wasn't the first introduction of it, but it was certainly the first application of what I was familiar with down in Mexico. Love to have tacos, love to have burritos. And when Karis was delivered, the nurse said, we're going to show you how to make a baby burrito. What's that? It's when for her comfort and her safety, we bind her and we give her to you. And you learn about what she wants to do, but what you ought not let her do. And so we bound her. And there were times when I really did bind her. <laughs> she was a wiggly one, and she was a screech owl. And so, you know, there was a time in which Christy said, that's not necessary. She's 16 for Pete's sake. <laughs> That was an impromptu, not, you know, Karis, that would not have been the case. So it's a binding force. And so at times what we do is we say, upon ourselves, I don't like it. And God says, I'm not doing this for your approval and liking it. I'm doing it because I love you. It's a binding force upon you. I'm constraining you. David understood that. Not necessarily always in time with God's interjection, but he knew when God had apprehended him. A crib is, in some way, a binding institution. Again, citing <laughs> Karis. She was a crib jumper, I think. It, man, she was really a, 
she was a hard one to keep down. She just was a gymnast from the beginning. I think she was up on her feet at 10 months. Does that sound about right? Not that you'd know. Is 10 months right, moms? Is that late or early? Is it good? It's early. Yeah, so she was like, she was like vacuuming and, you know, cooking dinner at 10 months, you know, and then jump in the crib when she went down. So we had to begin moving in the authority of Scripture. This is the law. These are the testimonies of God. These are the precepts. These are binding to you, statutes that you must learn. Verse 6, commandments. The commandments of God, which we come I think more fully into appreciation would be the Ten Commandments. But really for us, in ease of understanding it, it's the power of God to convince and his authority to order that such be done. It's the power of God to convince and the authority of God that such be done. What he says, what he orders to be done shall be done without arguing any excuses or even facts that you may have the commandments of the lord in verse 7 we have another term which is important to look at judgments judgments mean in its simplest presentation or rendering the duty of fair dealings from time to time we are called into duty to exercise fair judgments one of the words that we have defined rather consistently is this idea of justice, which we confuse very often with judgment. They're very distinctly different. We want justice. And really in their heart, they're saying, I want judgment. I want fire and brimstone. I want a hammer brought down. I confuse the terms quite frequently. In culture, though, when people are asking for justice, they really are confusing the term of judgment because they're barred teeth and the insanity of their mind and the vehemence that comes from their mouth says you don't understand what this means. If you truly wanted justice, then you as an author of that term would find yourself obligated as well under God's justice. If you're talking about judgment, it will come upon you too. Justice means fair and reasonable. And so the believer that David also would understand had the duty or obligation for simply this, fair dealings. David really found himself as one predominantly fair in his dealings. The people loved him for his heart. He had a shepherd's heart. Some dealings were not so good. He was chastened for them. We've looked into that before. In our study on Sunday, he is still reeling from a time in which his dealings were not fair, not reasonable. And so what he inherited were the judgments of God. With that, verse 9, the word. Now this is simply where we look into this and we say God's truth and it must be embraced in any form. Well, I didn't hear that in a church. Did you hear it in the radio? No, I don't listen to the radio. 
Did you hear it in your head, through your ear, the still small voice of God? Well, something was nagging at me. Well, that wasn't nagging. That was the convicting of the Spirit of God speaking in a manner that is very distinguishable and yet very quiet. So that's something to consider as well, because this journaling, the journey, pertains to the Word of God in its varietal ways. Romans chapter 1, about 18 through its close, will say that even all of creation can speak the Word of God to those who take time to look and to be fascinated by the things of creation. God says, it demonstrates my power. So God's truth embraced in any form. Well, I don't go to church and I don't listen to the radio. I did hear some songs tonight that were pretty, pretty catchy. There were some phrases in it that were resonating in my heart. The word of God, because that's where it was from, in any form, any form. Has a neighbor blessed you? Has a neighbor given thanks for something you've done? See, God doesn't simply work always surgically to stop us from doing something. He actually works with precision to acknowledge what we are doing or what he wants to do in our life to bless us. That's why it's always good, whenever you can, to say, God bless you. Even though you may think little of it, God thinks much of it. And it's a powerful word that has transforming, I believe, spirit and property in it. In verse 18, <clears throat> this is implied. You won't see the word here unless you have a version that may have incorporated it, promises what God has pledged he will perform at verse 18. What God has pledged he will perform, implied. So those are the terms that we will come upon very quickly. And now let's take a look at Psalm 119 from at least verse 1. We'll travel as far as we can. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Undefiled, a simple understanding of that would be innocent and with truth and fact. Well, we know that lies are very popular now and are being foisted upon culture as truth but there is a very distinguishing difference between what people say that are lies and wanting others to believe as fact and truth. So the best way to probably understand that is that the undefiled is innocent. You're innocent. You have an integrity. You have a conviction that you're responsive to the Lord in, and you understand truth and fact through the word of God. They walk in the law of the Lord. I like that. Walk could be defined as traverse. Traverse. The traverse has implication of both 
what a person takes as a line of ascent or descent. Sometimes we surprise ourselves because we think of the walk as just being the straight and narrow, but we forget the landscape also has high points that we are to actually exert great energy to attain, not to impress God, but actually to be pressed in by God. You've done it. You've done the mountain climbs before. Take a little bit more effort to get up that mountain. But the perspective, once we do attain to that height spiritually, is magnificent. Costs us calories, muscles, sweat, tears very often. The ascent can be both revelation and it can also be revealing. What is it that you thought about God? And has anything changed right now because of what has been required of you? Moses was prompted in his heart to take a curious look and ascend a mount. He was clueless about God. But by curiosity and determination, he ascended a mountain. And there he discovered the author of his life. God who had purposed for him to lead a people that he fully had not a lot of knowledge of, not in the way that God would direct him and had also been showing him illustratively intending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. Forty years it took for him to ultimately have an encounter and then ultimately to have a directive given to him by God, the ascent. Abraham, prior to Moses, that he would have been familiar with very likely as one who had great understanding of culture and of people's groups, and certainly those who were Hebrews that he oversaw in his tenure as a prince of Egypt, which he was. He was raised to be that. But Abraham and a promise that was given to him was directed by God to commit his only son to the Lord as an offering. Genesis chapter 22. Interesting, because you, th you say, well, why would God take back that which he had promised? Abraham was so convinced that even if this was for him the unbelievable, he believed God more than what the transaction represented, literally, the life of his son. He was confident that in doing obediently what he was asked to do, that what God had promised, he therefore was able to perform, both in giving him a son and also saving his son. He pleased God. That's an awesome testimony. Sometimes it comes upon us literally. To some degree, I think even with Zachary, there's a little bit of that feeling. A little bit of that feeling, you know. But I can say this, if there's a performance value, if there's something that is certainly pleasing, it would be Zach's disposition and a change in his life. And people see it. I see it. Like I said, 
I'm fitting into some pretty big shoes right now. These shoes, by the way, came from a runner that outran me to pieces. I used to boast in running one marathon. John, how many did you run? Four. <laughs> Can I ask what your best time was? <laughs> Were you faster than four hours and 40 minutes? Oh, Candy, you just... <laughs> well, the one time I felt very good about my four hours and 40 minutes. So four marathons, that's huge. But John's is the one that recommended these shoes for Zach and Everest. And so it's kind of interesting how the legacy of actually a huge athlete for marathons passed wisdom down to us and and we we got these shoes for those guys and so zach was very mindful he says i put a lot of mileage on those shoes so i'm wearing big shoes colorful shoes <clears throat> ascent and descent jesus as we talked about last sunday correlating his move to cross the Kidron to ascend to the Garden of Gethsemane, that David would cross weeping. Jesus entered the city weeping. David would leave the city weeping. It was both descent coming from Jerusalem, coming into Jerusalem, the ascent, back picturing what it is like at times. Who can figure it out? Tears coming in, tears going out, going up, going down. And so it's an important word right now when we look at that, the traversing of the mountains of faith. And when you reach the top, you can't stay there forever. You got to come down. And the down has some interesting challenges to it as well. Slip points, hardships on the knees, the feeling that, wow, I'm going back to a reality that I was hoping to escape. Devotionally, it can very often be pictured that way. But the traversing also has, for some of you that are equestrians, fancy name for horse riders, in certain areas of discipline for the horses, there is a term that, that actually qualifies a horse in a particular demonstration within the arena and that's when their nose and shoulder are pointed into a wall and they're at a trot or a canter that's in western term a gallop or a walk i had an appaloosa and so i did those things for a season i really wasn't though who i looked like in fact you know the old westerns where the white jeans white hat rolled up cuffs you know that's that's the kind of cowboy I was. I wasn't like Clint Eastwood. Didn't learn about... So that's probably more like what a cowboy looked like. But I do remember that those disciplines were important. And part of that is is to have the horse undistracted and to be able to follow that directive with the knee and with the, and with the reins. Part of it also is that they don't find themselves distracted by beams of light that very often come shooting through the gates that open to the ends of the arena or the slats in the roof. Very often there are those things that happen. 
and horses get spooked very easy. So part of it is the discipline of keeping that nose and shoulder into a walled off area. And I like what that means because very often in this traversing, this walk, the ascent, the descent, God hedges us in that we might not be distracted. And so very often it's at angle to the very thing that we're going around. And we can say, well, I can't see everything. God says, I don't want you to see everything. I really want you to feel me. I want you to trust me, pressing in with my legs. Some horses can be trained literally to be ridden just by pressure on the knees. I had an Appaloosa and I could do that with him. And I hated saddles because it always made me feel detached and, and really out of control. So when I did the 4-H thing, I just had sweat and heart palpitations because I felt out of control being on an Indian horse that spooked like that. And some people would say, you're crazy to not have a saddle because you don't have anything to hold on to. I said, my legs can hold on to this guy, but I don't trust my rear and my hands to hold on to a saddle. I don't trust that. And so very often that's what God does, not only limiting where your vision is going to be placed, but actually what's going to be placed on you that distances him from you. The traversing is a great word. I appreciate running into that. That word that gives us the implication about the walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. The word blessed, as you know, has a rendering of happy. You're going to be a lot happier in your journaling of the journey if you attend to the things that David is penning because he's being very transparent here. I appreciate that when I hear it from the lips and the hearts of others. So the walking, and now we come across this word again with regard to the law and the testimonies. The law also can be likened to what would be the priestly direction. The priestly direction. We're to have a heart that says, you know what, I, I see things secularly, but I need to understand them divinely. I need to have the priest's heart on this. How does God see it? Which again is the term in reference to testimony. Verse 3 says this, Blessed are those first who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. And they also do, it says, no iniquity. So one of the things that we are reminded from time to time is, is your heart beating like the Lord's? Our heart does beat physically. It pumps blood. That's what it's supposed to do. But it's illustrative of the deep connection that God has with us and the way that he wants to touch our hearts. So we do have to ask ourselves, is our heart beating as the Lord's heart is beating? Do we have a divided heart because of what we're thinking, because of the tug of culture, because of our own tendency, even as David is cited as one who could drift into carnality, both emotionally and expressionally. See, I can be emotional and not necessarily violate anything, if you would, expressionally. But if I violate something expressionally, 
chances are it means that I didn't arrest the emotional thing that was going on. I wasn't addressing those things in my life that required of me a spiritual discipline to ask the Lord, how do you see things, Lord, in your testimony? How do you see things? Okay, Lord, I've, I've conveniently switched glasses and I can see better. But am I vulnerable spiritually to simply switching things as opposed to really having my vision 2020 on you? Probably I should say 2121. <laughs> Is 2121 even a vision on the meter? It sounded so good though. Okay, I'll take your word. <laughs> With a whole heart. So we're not to have a divided heart. David understood that. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. That's a great thing. So this is a practical look. The walk. Are we walking in his ways? And the testimony, according to God, the way he sees it. Great term. Walking in his way. Walking as Yahweh desires us to plant our feet. Today, you walked through the doors. You walked in his ways. Good for all of us. We walked in his ways. And then it says, you have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Remember, to keeping the precepts diligently means that we are mindful that the details in the examination from the Word and the Spirit are compliant. We're saying, let the inspection happen. And let me make my adjustments according to the details of that inspection. To keep your precepts diligently. Oh, verse 5, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. The implication could be, early in this, is that, oh, man, do I need direction, Lord. But it could be a boast saying, oh, how happy I am when I am directed to keep your statutes, when at the earliest possible moment of sensitivity to your spirit, I do not argue, but I say, Amen, Lord, thank you. I remember I had one of those moments today where the Lord just stalled me. And for a split second, I resented it until I realized he had saved me from an incident. I actually have quite a few incidences that happen. But this was one in which, by a moment, just a breath, I was stalled, and it was for my salvation. It was to save me from incident. And I remember that as soon as that connected with me, I said, thank you, Lord. Bless you. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Because the Lord wants us to keep his statutes because they play an important part in how we represent his testimonies, the way that God sees it. He'll do the things necessary to save us. Some will be delivered into heaven. Some remain from the incident, from the situation, that the testimony of God, the way that God sees it, is exemplified over what some would say is the consequence, the incident. There always may be an incident 
There may be a consequence. We have to know how to sort things out. We have to be able to evaluate what's God doing in this? How is he receiving glory in what may be for me the hardship, the difficulty that I didn't expect? And then David pens in verse 6, then I would not be ashamed when I look into all your commandments. And see, part of the problem, we're closing on six, for today is that we've learned to abusively say a word which implies a hostility towards others in their errors or what may be a fabrication, a lie, and to shame them over nothing that God's grace and mercy have not already addressed. To where the word shame or ashamed no longer has the implication of a spiritual high road that we take. It's just a common word. I remember that in the etymology of language and kids' vernacular, I was hearing words that were really great words, but the kids were using it with such frequency that it no longer held a place that was great. One of those words was awesome. <laughs> when I was a fourth grade teacher, that word came out. And I think that the, the, the character that started that phrase was a cat named Garfield. Awesome. And that's the kids would use it for everything. And I know that we're using it for everything today. But when you understand that awesome really represents God, magnificently, magnanimously, hugely, out of this world, and yet in this world, in our hearts, keeping our hearts beating, it's a fabulous word. And it shouldn't be necessarily thought of so commonly that it relates to Garfield. I still see Garfield. He took over my class, t-shirts. Well, Garfield and Michael Jackson took over my class. And I remember his teacher going, oh, goodness, will I get out of this? The journaling of the journey is what David is doing to what? 176 verses. We've only made it to verse 6. Let's pray that we make it through this journey and savor what we are learning. You've been given terminology that's important. 